Hi, this is Ben Blackner, the creator and usually moderator of the Nerdist Writers Panel. Thanks for downloading this very cool episode, uh, moderated by my pal and yours, Andrew Miller. Uh, Andrew does a great job on this. He's appeared on our podcast before as a panelist. Uh, we talked about The Secret Circle, the show that he co-created and show ran. Um, and he does a great job moderating this panel with some real heavy hitter uh, creators and showrunners. So we'll get to that in one moment. Before that, we have a sponsor. It's The Walking Dead, The Fall of the Governor, Part 1, the third book in the Governor Novels series by Walking Dead creator Robert Kirkman and writer Jay Bonansinia. And it's available now. It's the first half of a two-part Kill Bill-style finale to Kirkman's series, which explores the heart-wrenching and horrifying origin of the comic world's most infamous villain, Brian Blake, a.k.a. Philip Blake, a.k.a. The Governor. Uh, check out this book. Get more details at facebook.com slash walkingdeadnovels where you can learn more about the entire series and read sneak peeks uh, of all the books. They've done a ton of these Walking Dead books, uh, and you guys should go check them out. The fact that Kirkman is involved uh, speaks highly of them. They're not just like attempts to cash in on the franchise. They're actually pretty cool. Uh, so that's... The Walking Dead Fall of the Governor Part 1, which is the third book in the Governor novels. A couple of very cool uh, L.A. events coming up uh, related to the Nerdist Writers Panel or that fans of the Nerdist Writers Panel will enjoy. Um, from October 10th through October 31st, L.A. is running the Beyond Fest, uh, and I'm lucky enough to be a part of it. On October 19th at the Arrow Theater uh, in Santa Monica, We'll be doing a screening and panel of uh, The Howling, and then we'll have a chat with director Joe Dante, uh, and I've also invited our old friend Dana Gould, uh, writer, comic, actor, uh, who's a huge horror fan, to come sit in on that panel. It should be really fun. Uh, And then on uh, Sunday, October 20th, the Thrilling Adventure Hour, of which I'm the co-creator, is doing a special presentation of... Beyond Belief, starring Paul F. Tompkins and Paget Brewster, and uh, we're going to do an episode about mummies, and then we're going to screen Universal's The Mummy, the classic film uh, starring Boris Karloff, and we're going to do a little panel afterwards all about horror stuff with Paul and uh, Acker and some some of the guest stars in the piece. It should be a lot of fun. So for for information about both of these, go to AmericanCinematechCalendar.com slash content slash beyond hyphen fest or use your google machine and just look up la beyond fest uh, american cinematheque and it's on facebook and it's on my twitter and so forth i uh, hope to see you there i'm really looking forward to these today's podcast was recorded at atx the austin television festival check it out atxfestival.com be there next year next week is the austin film festival uh, please come join us for it. Uh, I'm doing a Nerdist Writers panel there on Thursday, I believe, um, and it should be pretty awesome. Uh, I got our pal Ashley Miller, who wrote uh, Thor and X-Men First Class, or co-wrote them, I should say, with his partner. Uh, we have Kelly Marcel, uh, Kel Cahoon, and I think a couple others will be joining us. Um, Kelly is writing the adaptation of Fifty Shades of Grey, so we will certainly talk about that. Um, go to austinfilmfestival.com. They have back-to-back films and panels and all kinds of really cool things, roundtable discussions. 
Uh, I'll be moderating a bunch of things, so come say hi if you're there and you listen to the podcast. I, I like to know who... I like to put a face with the Twitter names. Speaking of Twitter, follow me on it, at Ben Blacker. And go like the Nerdist Writers panel on Facebook. That's the best place to get in touch. Let me know who you want to see on these panels. Uh, we've got a couple of really cool ones coming up that I recorded on a recent trip to New York. And uh, then we'll hopefully be doing some more live ones by the end of the year. So please... Let me know who you'd like to see appear on those live panels. As always, thanks for listening. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave a review on iTunes. It is always helpful. Thanks. Here's Andrew Miller. Now entering Nerdist.com. It's the Nerdist Writers Panel on the Nerdist Podcast Channel. Ben Blacker talking writing with writers. Writers talking writing can get pretty exciting. The talk can be lightning. It's very, very frightening. Ben Blacker talking writing with writers. Yeah. Uh, welcome to the Showrunners and Creators panel. My name is Andrew Miller. I created a show for the CW called The Secret Circle. And then I co-ran it with six different EPs over the first eight episodes until I was the last guy standing. Some of those EPs are in this very room. Uh, needless to say, we were canceled after one season. Here's what I basically know about creators and showrunners. A creator comes up with a world, characters to inhabit that world, and some kind of driving idea that makes it sound like a series. They pitch it, they sell it, they write a pilot. Most of this process takes place at a computer alone then every once in a while the pilot gets made and ordered to series and suddenly the creative journey radically changes. The process of writing and shooting one pilot shifts to making 13 or 22 episodes. And for this, a showrunner is brought in. Sometimes for the production of the pilot, sometimes after, sometimes the creator becomes the showrunner and sometimes it's someone the creator has never met. Because being a great writer and creating an interesting world doesn't necessarily mean you have the nuts and bolts of, of a grueling season-long production. The showrunner's job, and we'll explore that a little bit more in a second, is to turn the creator's idea into an actual season of television. The showrunner is responsible for the writing staff, getting scripts turned in on time, the crew budgets, production and post-production. The creator-showrunner relationship is an incredibly exciting and often complicated one, and we are joined today by a bunch of guys who have managed to navigate it and experience tremendous success working together and alone with strangers and their spouses. Uh, I, let's see. Andrew Linchinski and Michael Rausch over here. Andrew, Michael. I'm Michael. I'm the uh, other guy. Are the showrunners, or were the showrunners, and are supervising some other showrunners? We'll get to that in a second. I'm not we sure. Were? Did you just cancel our show? <laughs> <laughs> I'm are, sorry to are. say, you, Royal Pains is not going to be airing next week, like previously. Um, uh, are there new? Sh are, are you guys supervising now? Yeah, that's. Uh, anyway, my impression is that Andrew created the show. Do you create it together? You created. I I co-created it, and we co-showrun it. I have uh, extreme codependency issues. I can't do anything on my own. I even have a roommate. These are the very complications yeah. we'll be talking about in just a second. Uh, uh, Michael has created other shows separate from this, like Love Monkey for ABC, uh, for CBS, and uh, ABC Family's Beautiful People. Um, moving to the middle, uh, uh, Dimitri Lipkin, over here, uh, created The Riches for FX. <laughs> 
and co-created and co-ran Hung for HBO. No clue. Yeah. <laughs> Lying gets applause. Big penises get nothing. Uh, Tim Doyle is the show over here next to Dimitri is the showrunner of Last Man Standing and has worked on or run shows like Still Standing. If you have a sitcom where someone's standing in it, there's no one. Uh, also, Rules of Engagement, Better Off Ted, Big Bang Theory, Aliens in America. Tim is not fucking around. Um, Kevin Beagle is the co-creator of Cougar Town. I sort of assume people will like raise a glass of wine somehow at that event. Um, <laughs> and I, at least my impression is at some point you became a showrunner, a co-showrunner on Cougar Town. Is that? Um, he created the Fox Comedy Enlisted, the soon-to-be-seen and beloved Fox Comedy Enlisted. And he's showrunning that with Mike Royce over here. who has executive produced Men of a Certain Age, Lucky Louie, and Everybody Loves Raymond. Dan Bukintinsky over here, who you may recognize as an actor from Scandal. Yeah. And as we learned yesterday, has acted and written and directed and produced a million other things that I won't get into because we just don't have the time. But he... He has co-created and co-runs the uh, Hulu hit, now Showtime hit, Web Therapy. Ah. Can I start now? Is that... Uh, boy. Uh, and let's start with you guys. Let's go back to this. You co-created Royal Pains. Royal, Royal Pains, everyone? No applause for you? Yeah. Uh, you co-created it, not with this guy. Correct. And then at what point in the process did they say, and I'm assuming this is the experience that many people are experiencing these days, which is to say you wrote the pilot or you developed the pilot, and then at some point they said, we want someone to come on to help you guys out, or to how did that yeah, work? It was after we shot the pilot and the pilot was picked up to series, which suggested to me that everything... I had been uh, that I had done until that point suggested to them that I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. Sure. It was time to bring in someone else. Um, so we, uh, we, I basically went through a, a series of uh, meetings where I was interviewing people, um, trying to hire my own boss, which is a pretty surreal experience. Um, and I, in, in truth, I think um, USA's perspective was that they had had a, had a lot of really um, shitty experiences previously pairing inexperienced creators with veteran showrunners, and they were inclined to. Um, you know, let me have a shot at it on my own. And the only thing I did know was that I was completely ignorant and had no idea how to run a show. And so I really embraced the idea of bringing on someone who could be a mentor and, um, you know, walk me through the beginnings of getting a show on the air. So I had these uh, these five meetings, and um, one out of the first four stands out to me the most because uh, this this woman who, who I had admired as a writer came in, and I think with the best of intentions couldn't have been more condescending. I mean, she spoke to me like... Jane Espenson. No. <laughs> I'm full of candor. This is one thing I'm going to hold back on. Um, this is how we make television, and you're going to have a lovely time learning from me. I, it felt like she was about to breastfeed me, put me down for a nap. So, and the four I had in L.A. were four meetings in a room 
Um, and the fifth that I had was with Michael, who was uh, based in New York at the time, and we met on one of those incredibly awkward video conference feeds where we kept stepping on each other's answers and questions. Um, under normal circumstances, we'd want to blow our brains out, but I felt an instant connection, uh, and I also, and this is, I think, the most important thing for anyone in the position of having created a show and being asked to embrace uh, a new showrunner coming on, um, I was an admirer of Michael's as a writer. And um, as I'm sure we'll talk about, showrunning is, is basically running a business, but there's nothing more important than actually writing. So I think that was the foundation of us becoming a, a good fit. And um, as we launched season one, we worked together. Uh, throughout season one, Michael you know, supervised me and taught me. And then in season two, we became equal partners. And that's how we've run the show since then. We'll, we'll get off you two in a second. But in, when you come into this, it, and in that first phone call, are you... I think the theory is you go, I love your vision of the show. I'm on board with your vision of the show. I'm going to help you. Is that how you genuinely felt? Is that what you said to get the job? Like how? I had never run somebody else's show before. I'd only done it for my own shows that I'd created. So um, I said that I was open to it, basically, if it was out of New York and if it was a show that I thought I could make better um, or do as well as the pilot. And I read... um, I watched the pilot and loved it and read the script and loved it and met with Andrew and the people who had worked with him in the pilot uh, and really liked it a lot and felt like it was something that I could do. And having the first pilot I did was for CBS and it was Love Monkey and it was uh, cast and showrunner contingent. So I went through the same thing Andrew went through and met with five different people and CBS has a very specific list of who you can hire and it's basically the same names. And you go in when you create a show and it's the first thing you've ever done and all you hear is they're going to hire a showrunner who's going to take the show away from you and destroy your vision and get you fired. So I'm a naturally paranoid person anyway, but I went especially paranoid, and I met this guy who's in the Hell on Wheels thing now, a guy named John Worth, who's running that show. Um, and we went to this bar in L.A., Tom Bergen's, and had like three or four beers. And we're just there for two and a half hours talking about life, and I felt like I trust this guy. And he was an incredible mentor for me through the pilot. And so... John, this is John, John Worth. John Worth, right. yeah. And, and I was like, this is a guy that I want to learn from. I want to... I trust to to work on the show and help make it a series. Um, and so having had that experience as a creator, that's exactly what I wanted to do with Andrew as a showrunner, which was not change anything that he wanted to do, but help get him through the process and hopefully help get the show uh, successful. I've heard a similar story about, about John from another guy that John ended up helping. But is that rare? Is that... Is, uh, or let me put it this way: in, As when you're, you've created your own show, you're a big shot, and now is it a? Do you have to shift your ego or your sensibility or your, your, the way you approach things? How, very, how do you guys mesh? It was a very different experience because when you run your own show, you're the only person there. You're making all decisions by yourself. You're not checking with anyone. So in the beginning, it was and Andrew's a great guy, and that is part of why I wanted to do it because we got along so well, and there was no ego between us. But it was that constant reminder of, for him, I think for me too, because he had done the pilot by himself, of let's do it together, let's make the decisions together, which ultimately I think makes it a better show. I also think in your case it's a, it's a bit different because the, the pilot was so clear. I feel like the pilot was great. It I was, think. it was, except I went into USA uh, and I said, it's a, I don't know if you guys know the show, but it's about a concierge doctor. It's a great medical procedural. And in my interview I said, the pilot's amazing. Um, I've got no interest in medicine. I never will. Uh, if you're looking for someone who wants to help make this a medical show, then I'm not your guy. Thinking they were going to say, okay, next. 
And you know, I talked about the relationships Andrew wrote about in the pilot, and that's what interested me. And I think that's really what has made the show successful, is the ability to develop the characters and make it about the people, and obviously let the medicine drive, drive the uh, story engine. You two in the middle, the enlisted fellas. Um, similarly, you, you, you come off, you're coming off Cougar Town, and then you're developing on your own, and you've got this idea about you and your brothers, and you, at what point did they say, did they, how did it come up that there'd be someone else with you for the, for the duration of the experience? Um, it was pretty far along in the, uh, it's always weird when you hold a microphone. It's like, does it go by your nose? But it's an awkward thing for me. Just by your mouth? Okay. <laughs> Use the technology. Can you hold it for each other, like the code? So basically, um, uh, when you're kind of in pilot in the midst of pilot season, you know, they buy like a hundred. Every network will buy a hundred scripts, and then they'll say, "Well, out of these hundred scripts, you know, it gets whittled down and whittled down, um, and then gets to a point where they're going to make a few of them. Right? Fox is going to make seven or eight comedies, and it's incredibly competitive at that point. And uh, basically, any kind of little leg up on anybody else you can get, you take. Um, and I think mine was pretty close to being one of the ones that they would want to take a shot on, but I think they're also kind of terrified of it because it was much different than a lot of the other shows that they've got, you know. Uh, and they had a deal, and if I'm, if I'm mucking any of this up, no, feel free to jump in. Um, it, my, Mike was their prisoner. Mike had a deal with them, and they basically said, would you uh, be interested in working with, with Mike on, this, on the pilot? Um, in a very collaborative kind of way, and it was it was it was an interesting thing for me because coming off of Cougar Town, there was a I had a giant, and I still do. My wife makes fun of me for it. I have a giant chip on my shoulder, you know. And you, you do I did a show with Bill, and, with Bill Lawrence, who did uh, Cougar Town, and I got to a point on that where literally it was it was you know we were uh, the first season of that show. Hey, Kevin's long-winded. That's a shock. The first season of that show was uh, was kind of Bill showing me the ropes of you know here's how you run a show, but then it very quickly got to a point where we were both. Pretty, pretty even as far as running the thing, you know, as because anyone here can tell you there's just so much work to do. Having two brains is much better than one, especially if you're kind of of the same mindset. So I kind of, for a second, had to take that, you know, little chip off my shoulder and go, okay, look, this is a very big show. This is um, something that's going to be a lot of work. Uh, If there's, if you meet with this guy Mike and he's great, wouldn't it make a lot of sense to have him aboard as someone who's doing it right there with you? And we met, and right from the get go, when we met, it was. I could quickly tell it, he, he's a great guy, a super talented person, and someone who immediately got the kind of show I wanted to tell. So it just made it just it, it, it's an and it's an interesting thing. I'm sure each of these guys can speak of it. You have to really get to a point where you're comfortable, kind of putting your ego aside if you're going to get the job done, because otherwise you're just you're going to be miserable and you're going to be there for 400 hours a week. So it made sense to me as far as a from a health standpoint, from a sanity standpoint, and from a just how good can the show be standpoint. To, say, to basically, you know, kind of hope and plead and beg that Mike would want to be on this show. And thankfully, he, he agreed to do it. Um, and, you know, and, and the show, honestly, wouldn't be, wouldn't, be, wouldn't be premiering this fall sometime on Fox if it weren't for him. Is that pretty close to what happened? Uh, yeah, that's, okay. that's about right. Yeah, we met, and an hour later, he got done talking, and then I said something. <laughs> and... I said, okay. <laughs> he said, you're a really good listener, and I'd like you to... Um, are, were you... Your deal at, at 20th? No, your, your deal... Yeah, yeah. Was I that... Mean, were you developing at the time? No, I your... had just finished 1600 Pen, Hold Your Applause. <laughs> <laughs> that's, oh, that was, that's terrible. I made them applaud. That's, I didn't mean that. Okay. Um, and I was really looking forward to a vacation. And then they're like, cool, do you want to look at all these pilot scripts and maybe help out on like one or two or four or whatever? Because we own you and you really can't say no. And I said, oh, okay. And um, 
then I read Kevin's script, and I, I mean, I really, really liked it, and I wanted to be a part of it, and I said, sure. I loved it. <laughs> he had some notes, but they got through that. No, you don't, you don't say that up front. Um, no, I really did love it, and um, I, you know, the, I'm a moron when it comes to the business, so I told 20th, like, yeah, sure, I'd love to help out on this. And the next day in deadline, executive producer Mike Royce climbs on board, you know, whatever. And I was like, oh, I guess that's what helping out means, is that I'm going <laughs> to... So ever since then, we just worked together on it. And, you know, it's Kevin's... The thing that I was drawn to is that Kevin has a great vision for it and has a personal stake in it, even though he's, his, fan, his brothers aren't in the military. The relationships come from his family. And to me, that's what, if you can get on board something where the person really believes in and has a, a, a personal stake in what they're doing, it's just, uh, it's, it's kind of irreplaceable. So that's why I, you, you know. You just call me irreplaceable? <laughs> yeah, Context-wise, I guess you could. <laughs> Tim Doyle. Hello, sir. Hello. Uh, as I understand it, as to Last Man Standing, you... A guy creates the show, mm-hmm. leaves, mm-hmm. or or disappears some, something? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, uh, singularly from the rest of these folks, I've never successfully created a show. I have run, like, seven or eight shows that other people created. You know, I'm the guy that comes in either... I mean, and it happens any number of ways. But sometimes I come in during the pilot process and help the person, and sometimes it's in the first season or the second season, and the show's on the bubble and is, is in danger of not coming back, and the network has lost faith in the guy running the show, or there's a falling out and the person leaves, or some tragedy occurs and they're gone. And then, but I'm the, you know, the the red Adair of comedy. I, I come in there and there's a, there's a tanker, and, and I put it out and put a cap that thing, and it starts and then start pumping the oil again. But you're, you're the guy. You, if you if if you guys are minding your own business, you don't want to see Tim coming down the hall. No. Yeah. If, <laughs> right. If you, hey, Tim, remember us from the panel? Oh no, shit. On, Tim's gonna. You know, I'm on that list. I mean, the, when there people are saying, okay, you're you know, you're not experienced enough to run a show. You've created a pilot. It's all very well and good. I mean, I find a lot of the time, um, you know, network executives they don't really want my development because I'm grouchy. And 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 uh, and old, I guess. And uh, but they love to, you know, they love to develop with people who haven't developed a lot before because it's like, you know, it's like screwing a virgin. They don't know what's good, you know. And so the <laughs> so you you can pretty, the executives can yeah pretty much assure you that this is no this is really good. You're what what I'm giving you is the best possible. And and the the execs play it that way, you know, and then, and then, of course, between all of the wonderful input from the studio and the network, the, it's a troubled pilot, you know, so either they'll bring somebody with more experience in during that process and try to help it get up back on track. I wish oh. we were sticking to the metaphor. Is there any way to keep, continue this, but can we, is there a way to... I, 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 not, I couldn't go dirty enough, it's, but then, yeah, then they turn shit on your chest. <laughs> <laughs> Clear the room of children. No, that's moderate. But, but, but I've had a really interesting career. You know, I get to be a guy who comes in and solves these problems, figures stuff out, and, and then also, at a certain point, I mean, and again, I've collaborated. I've been like a co-showrunner with very talented people, or those people have been booted, and, I'm, and I walk in and, and I clean house and bring in my own writers and, and set up a situation. I mean, I've done it all sorts of ways. I've worked with, you know, with a staff that wasn't mine. I've worked with the, 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 the other guy sitting right there with me. You know, I've done it, I've done it in a number of ways. And, 
you know, I, I come from a big family, I'm a middle child, I find a way to make it work. <laughs> and in those situations, how closely, or even in, uh, maybe not in Last Man Standing, but do you, how interested are you in the original vision of the show? Do you come in when the show's vision is in trouble, or just the mechanics of running the day-to-day is in trouble? Like, do you say, no, Tim should have a, a, a kid from another marriage that we don't know about, and that's... Yeah, I fiddle around with stuff like that. I mean, it, you know, I mean, look, it, it, it depends on the feedback I'm getting. I mean, every situation is unique, but, you know, if the feedback you're getting from the network is, we're extremely unhappy with this show, this show does not work for us, and, and then, you know, and, and, and I, my own taste comes into it, and I'll say, yeah, I, I don't really think it's a great show either. I will try to find a way to make it better. You know, but, but if somebody, if, if there's a clear thing that's working, and all they want is to, and, and, but, the, you know, the, but the showrunner just had a stroke or something, and they just need me to chug along and keep the thing going, well, then I'll, you know, I'll keep it on that track. And I've done that, too. Um, let's talk about division of labor. Dan, how... Uh, Wait, just to, uh, so I'm clear. Please. This is the playing gay on TV panel, right? <laughs> <laughs> no? All right, this is awkward. <laughs> let's talk about being a gay actor on television. Um, okay. Uh, <laughs> whew! <laughs> Finally. Um, it, division of labor. In, on web therapy, the show was created by three of you, an actor, a director, and a writer. Actress, yeah. Actress, right. I don't know. I don't know oh, the you're ladies talking about Lisa? Yeah. Yeah. You're sort of all three, but what the three of you have the, a vision for the show, and then once the show is moving along, once production is moving along, once you're writing scripts, how, how do you guys decide how to divide shit up? Um, one of them is my husband, so he decides. <laughs> No, it's a very different show than than, and I've I've you know spent ten years in the other world as well, writing for the networks and trying to writing pilots. And this was a, an opportunity that Lisa wanted, and Don, who didn't want to do TV, and me, who had been developing for network television for a really long time, to try something completely different. And so the notion of doing and Lisa wanted to play this character of a horrible, horrible therapist who sees clients for three minutes online because she thought like what losers would get therapy for three minutes and what loser therapist would actually think she could do it so it became sort of a short concept that was designed for the web and we the three of us together and and lisa and i have been producing partners for 10 years and don and i have been married even longer and it was a very strange collaboration for three of us but i tend to take on sort of the business side of things and Don is a film director, so he took on a very directorial scripting the outlines of what we would come up with in that room. And Lisa would improvise as Fiona Wallace, as the character, and help shape what the stories could be. And the show's improvised, so like Curb Your Enthusiasm, we would sit in rooms for weeks and weeks and weeks, just the three of us, and we didn't have a staff. We just would try to come up with little mini arcs for each of the clients. And it was only because of the nature of digital and, and where we were that we were offered an opportunity to turn the digital show into a sort of license the show to Showtime, and it became a sort of ready-made half hour for Showtime. So it's a very unconventional way of running a show, but each of us sort of play a very specific role. And if you dare touch, on, <laughs> step into somebody else's territory, you know, you get your head chopped off. But, but to that, it, you have, I mean, 
you're all, three of you are basically showrunners. Do you yes. ever, how do the notes work to Lisa or to the director slash your husband? How do, you know, it, it's still, these, these relationships are as, probably as close to husband-husband as, as you and Don over there. I mean, how do you right, give Don, someone notes like that? How do you accept notes like that? He's a director, or he's a writer-director first and foremost, and, um, you know, we do it. We give each other notes. We pitch ideas to one another. It's tricky because of the personal relationships. I think I envy situations where you're not quite so enmeshed. You know, my, my producing partner of 10 years and one of my closest friends and then my spouse. I mean, it's completely... I do not recommend it. <laughs> I mean, I'm here to say it works because we're crazy and fucked up and we make no money doing it. Like, there's no upside. I can't quite figure out <laughs> why we're doing it. And, you know, I come home and we have to occasionally talk about work and it's awful. Um, and uh, But, you know, Don... We all sort of defer to Don because he is the trickiest... <laughs> and he's also really smart and he has a really good sense of story and because it's it is just way too time consuming and um annoying to deal with the back the, the backlash so sometimes you just have to sort of weigh you know and, or I'll be the hard line and I'll say we can't afford that so whatever you're saying that you want to do is not going to be possible so let's just come up with something else i often sort of act as voice of i hate to say it but like studio within this group of three. And Lisa's the actress, but is really smart as a writer. She wrote the comeback you know, with Michael Patrick King, which she, they wrote literally side by side. That was a great show. Oh, yeah, thank you. Yeah, I mean, I was really proud to be you know, producing that with her, but literally watching her write that with Michael and run that room together. And Lisa, in talk about you know, shifting, playing different roles. She would sit in the writer's room in her curlers and dressed as Valerie Cherish and continue the process of pitching and story breaking. And it, it's a lot to do at one time. And when we're shooting web therapy, we're, we're playing a multiple roles all at the same time. I think I know what you're saying. Mike, he's essentially saying that Lisa Kudrow's the smart one from Friends and Courtney Cox is an idiot. Do you agree? <laughs> An idiot. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, let's move. To, speaking of working with spouses, Dimitri. <laughs> I vehemently deny that. No, I did not. There's no way to answer that. Courtney's a very smart woman. A very uh, smart woman. Dimitri also co-ran, co-ran, hung with his spouse, and co-created it. But before that, you did the riches. And did you have a similar experience to these guys? It was the first show you'd done. They brought you created, it, and then they they brought someone in. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm like the virgin that. Tim, <laughs> Tim, you're up. Let's hear it. <laughs> I, uh, I've never done any television before. I did The Riches. I, I wrote plays in New York. I was a playwright. I, I'd like to think I'm still a playwright. I ran a theater company, and then uh, about 10 years ago, sort of packed up the, the car, went to Mexico for a while with my wife, came here, and I wanted, you know, oh, came here, came, came to L.A., and I wanted to, uh, you know, have a decent living make a decent living and, you know, get staffed. And uh, after that didn't work out, I uh, just started kicking around this idea about um, travelers. Um, and uh, ended up pitching it to Eddie Izzard, who's, uh, who loved it, and it kind of, that, you know, sort of snowballed. But I had no idea what I was doing. Um, um, but I, I guess I kind of got into the game of Did you run, cable, you ran uh, it? 
did you run the show by like the well, witches? Or here, they the, here's the thing. It's like we it got picked up to pilot, and then FX said, you know, we'd like to to we like for you to you know maybe meet some of your potential partners, and we're and we're like, okay, well, <laughs> right. So um and so I met with some a few people, um and then the question was, well, do you like them? And I said, yeah, I like them. I didn't realize it was like code for, uh, yeah, are they, are they, are they are the ones you're going to hire? So yeah, I, I met some very, two very nice, uh, 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 sort of a showrunner partner team, and uh, they were writers. They were writers. Yeah, they were writers. So, uh, but but I, I think unlike because it was FX, it was the I don't think it was the 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 power dynamic wasn't very clearly defined. I think we literally were supposed to make decisions all together. Um, which was, I, I, I actually wish someone made the decision. Someone now, a made lot of, and again, I see this a lot of the time. A lot of the time there, there's this wishful thinking out there uh, among the uh, executives that let's just, let's not tell anybody, we'll hire a bunch of people, we won't tell who has to answer to You'll who, and we'll right. hope that evolution, you know, the, <laughs> that, that, that the spider and the scorpion fight it out, or, or they somehow form a happy marriage. Yeah. It's Survivor. And, yeah. <laughs> but but, but they, they really are, they're, they're sort of, you know, they'll promise you one thing, and they'll promise, they'll, you know, they'll hire me, and they'll, they'll promise, but they'll promise the people that are already there that they're really in charge, and he's just coming to help, and then they'll tell me, no, we don't like those guys. Tell, you know, you don't do anything that they say, and, and, and then they'll just hope that we're able to sort it out because they're all such cowards. And, and so you have to get that stuff nailed down. Yeah, I think it's better to have like a chain of command and follow it, whatever. whatever but when, yeah. when I came in on, on Last Man Standing, it was literally like the, the real problem that they'd had in the first year of the show was that uh, the, the showrunner creator had left and no one was officially put in charge. So the director was kind of in charge, and he was throwing his weight around, and the, uh, and the, well, the non-writing exec producers were in charge, and they were going to casting and editing, and, the, and, the, and there were other guys who were kind of promoted, but they weren't officially promoted, and, and, and it was just chaos. And, and, and poor Tim Allen is in the middle of this saying, who do I, who do I yell at? Because there was nobody officially to, to yell at. And so he solved the problem by yelling at everybody. <laughs> but, but it was just this unhappy situation where if they had literally just picked the lowest staff writer in the show, and said, you get to make all the final decisions, it would have probably gone better for them than if they just, they, but they have that kind of chicken shit mentality of like, well, let's just, you know, let's see what happens. And it'll, maybe it'll work itself out. Andrew said before, which I think is so true, it's, it's hiring your boss. It's a very weird, I think, in, you may not have known, but I think there's some understanding that you're bringing on a partner who you will sort of answer to or who might be between you and the studio or network. Like, yeah. And I also think, you know, there's a long narrative in television of um, showrunners coming in and, and wrestling control of the show out of the hands of, of the young, naive creator. Um, and I think there's a lot of truth to that, but I think because it's become so exaggerated that there's been um, an overcorrection, and now I think creators are in such a defensive posture when a showrunner comes in that it's an equally combustible situation. You, you, there's no way that can allow, you know, the collaborativeness that this... Um, dynamic is designed to enable to happen. So I think either way, you're in trouble. And I think we're, to the extent that, that our relationship has been successful, it's because we've really not had these clearly defined boundaries of this is mine, this is yours, um, based on the stereotypes of what a, a creator does and what a showrunner does. You know, I really have tried to be very inclusive of Michael in from the beginning in terms of what the vision for the show is, even though the creator is supposed to be the visionary and, and 
And conversely, you know, Michael from the beginning um, wasn't like, well, don't worry, I'll, I'll, I'll manage the crew, I'll run the budget, I'll, I'll figure out the schedule. I mean, he invited me into that process, not just so I could learn, but so that I, I could actually do. And I think that's incredibly important. And someone needs to make that clear. And if the network and studio aren't going to do it, then I think it's something that the creator and showrunner, showrunner have, to, have to sit down and figure out themselves at the beginning. And Tim's right. I mean, the networks are, it's absolutely their inability to communicate the truth of what's really happening. I, the Year Love Monkey was on CBS. I had a pilot um, uh, that we shot that was, it was like between commuters and Love Monkey, right down to the wire. Congratulations. <laughs> no, but I remember I was like completely by myself, and the network was like, we just want to, we want you to meet with these 10 people, and they were huge heavyweights in our dramas. And I was, everybody was like, they're going to take it away from you. This, this is them taking it away from you. And I was like, be careful to not pick somebody who's going to take it away from you. It was all I was hearing. It's like, how can I control that, that when I hire this person, this person's going to kick me off the show? But it, it was like a culture of that, as opposed to people just laying out, you know, like, this is your first pilot. You, we're going to hire someone who is going to be your boss, and hopefully you can work together. I mean, like, lay it out, communicate, because otherwise it's just panic. I just want to say that the Fox Network, where Enlisted is premiering October 18th, knows exactly what they're doing, and this is nonsense. I, I don't have to sit here and listen to this nonsense. Well, with, with you guys, um, Kevin, you, 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 you're doing Cougar Town. You must, by the end of your run at Cougar Town, you probably had a really good sense of what you liked about show running, what you didn't like, and when Mike comes in, do you have a maybe an advantage to Andrew, do you have a sense where you're like, dude, if you can handle this stuff, like, do you have, did you have well, a... Well, yeah, it's, it's weird because it's kind of, a, we're still finding our footing a little bit. I mean, we literally just started. You know, we got through the pilot, and that's its own, these guys can say, it's its own mountain unto itself. But now we're literally, this was the first week in the writer's room. Um, but I think something that's like, we, we, ought, we have in common that is kind of a wrinkle in the whole show running thing. If you've got a show, and it's a bunch of kids, and you're clearly the ones in charge, that's one thing. If you're on a star-driven show... That's an, a whole other... There, you could do six panels on that. Um, right. And the thing... We got lucky, uh, and I know this is not answering your question, but it's interesting. Um, <laughs> uh, and, uh, but, you know, uh, if you're dealing... Like, on, on Cougar Town, it was me and Bill and Courtney. It was like a three-headed serpent, to use a terrible metaphor when she reads it in an interview. You called me a serpent? Um, <laughs> but it was a, a, a three-headed teddy bear. Uh, it, it, but basi- basically... A it's, sexy it's, teddy yeah, bear. a sexy, beautiful teddy bear. Um, young. That, that for six episodes has sex with young people and decides to drink wine with their friends. Um, so basi- but basically, for the, uh, we were lucky because we were all on the same page about what kind of show we wanted to do. But I think, to be totally candid, we're the ones in the writer's room the whole time. You know, uh, Courtney, who is w- one of the main people on the show, has ideas of what she wants the show to be and what she, what she wants the character to do. We kind of have to uh, toe that line a little bit of, of, of respecting her uh, and respecting the show she wants to do as the star, because she has a much bigger voice and owns more of the show than I do, but also telling the kind of show that we want to tell. And I think it's something that it kind of goes beyond normal show running. You have to, I'm sure on Last Man Standing, it's something you've dealt with where Tim, this is Tim's show. You've got to make Tim happy, you know. And and with the web therapy, Lisa's the one who's right there. You've got to make Lisa happy. So, but you also want to make yourself happy. You can't just you're because we're writers. We can't go home every night and just do what they want us to do because sometimes that's not what we want to do. So you have to kind of be clever and make them accept your idea as their own, if it makes sense. Yeah, and the thing about working with stars, I mean, really any talent is that you know, as writers, we're fairly anonymous. 
you know, I'll go on to whatever the next job is. I, I was, you know, I'm handed Mr. Tim Allen, who was a huge star in the 90s, and, and, and he played Santa Claus, and he's Buzz Lightyear. He's got, a, he's got a thing that's really valuable in terms of his brand, his identity. And, and so he's so much more vulnerable than I am to, you know, to being made a fool of on this job. You know, if I do a bad job, if I give him, you know, crap episodes, you know, that's just like, oops, you know. But for him, you know, his brand gets diminished and he, and he makes less money the next time around. And, you know, I mean, I always feel for the actors in these situations. I, I have a lot of empathy for them as they are screaming at me and telling me I'm shit. <laughs> well, and the, and the rule is also like the more accolades, the more the higher profile, like the the more praise they get for the show, the the crazier, the harder they're gonna get. But Eddie Izzard, you know, that's his first sh American his first show. show yeah, and yeah. then how was that personality there? Oh, he's lovely. He's great. He's totally uh, not uh, fun. Answer. Huh? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> Next. No. no. But he, but uh, to, to uh, let me ask you this about you and your wife, and to, to, in terms of division of labor, who, and I'd like to hear this from all of you, who who has the last pass on a script? No one. With you, your with you and your wife, in that sense, it's going back and forth. It no one goes back and forth. No, there is no like we don't break it up. Like, and I wish we did. Uh, and because she's <laughs> terrible. <laughs> you know. Um, and the weird thing is, like, we'd like to sort of separate our, but we do make each other better. And the fighting and the going back and forth does make it better. It makes it better by like maybe six percent. And I'm not sure those six percent. I'm not, I'm not sure if it's worth it, but, uh, you know. Uh. <laughs> and you guys, in terms of final word on last pass on a script or even final, I mean, there must be, there must be situations where one of you has to make a call, or how did, how did that play out? We really just, we sent it back and forth until we're both happy with it, and we'll tweak each other's dialogue sometimes and say, you okay with that? And either, yeah, I think it's better, or no, I think it's not. I don't think we've ever had a situation where we've disagreed about something have we? Not yet. Not yet, no. <laughs> Season six, yeah. And then, and I, wow. I do, are there new showrunners on Royal Page? keep saying that. What, do you know what, something we don't know? The answer's no. It was no an hour ago. It's still no. I, I, <laughs> is Royal Page on the end? No, I, I guess I... I God, Andrew. <laughs> no, I read, I read that you, that you had a, a fancy deal. <laughs> All right, never mind. So what were you going to say? Um, our uh, replacement panelist just walked in, which I think is perfectly timed. And, and Tim Doyle. What? I, I was going to add one thing to the, uh, the discussion about talent, because I think this is important. And uh, I'm not just saying this because our number one, Mark Feuerstein, is sitting in the third row. Huh. But I think that the, the star of the show... Um, Hey. Happy birthday. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to your Happy birthday to you. I couldn't imagine a better place to spend my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> This is why I didn't want to acknowledge you. You're going to take it over now. It's going to become all about you, of course. The, the, the star of the show has an unbelievable ability to make or break the dynamic that we're talking about here. And we had, um, and this by pure serendipity, Michael and I both had independently uh, relationships that predated the show, each with Mark. And so, in, you know, instead of him playing us against each other or, you know, um, empowering one, diminishing the other, which is something that you hear goes on all the time, he made this 
incredibly concerted effort to make a family out of all of us, and I think that's been instrumental to the success of um, how the show is run. You know, interestingly, your John Worth example, I heard him speak of another example, not yours, where he was saying we need. He was saying to the creator, "We need to be careful. They're going to try to split us up, like they being the studio or network. That this is their opportunity to keep." control of this by having both of us on edge all the time so we can't let that happen we need to you know be a unified force Absolutely. and receive their notes you know well, respectfully but break in, in opinion they will jump in and split it up and it is absolutely essential to have one voice yeah i mean i agree i find that again and again that that's part of the weird self-destructive dynamic that sometimes executives tr create on a show is that they love they love to have creative influence on the show up until the point where things aren't working and then they back away and have you fix it and they they and they they don't mind having a situation where there's no clear leader because they feel that they can fill that void creatively for a while and then when it gets kind of messy then they they back off and suddenly you have you have a mess to clean up but I, I was also going to make the point just you know I'm not like this bully boy who comes in and sort of pushes everybody out of the way <laughs> I mean I mean some of the best shows that I've been an EP on uh, you know, are ones where I arrive and the people who created the show know what they're doing and I really like the vision they're doing, so all my job is just to back them up. Mm -hmm. You know, and I'm not, you know, it's like uh, we did a show, Aliens in America, with, uh, with uh, Moses Port and David Garassi, who created that pilot, and, and it's, it didn't last long, but it was a very good sh little show. And Moses and David did a great job with the pilot and they were really smart. And just because they hadn't done a single camera show, they hadn't run a single camera show before, you know, they hired me to come in as, as the showrunner. And I got there and said, hey, you guys are great. I'm just going to, you know, I'll pitch some jokes and hang out and help you break stories. And then to that, Mike, uh, can you speak? Use a <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> That's how you celebrate a birthday, five mics. Uh, um, can you speak to the differences between uh, hours and half hours show running? Oh, hours are incredibly long and hard, <laughs> and half hours are long and hard. Um, I mean, for men of a certain age, it was, um, yeah, it, it, you know, it's just so, it's double the work. And uh, it was different because you're not looking for a punchline every five seconds, you know? Uh, so in that way, the writing could take on a little bit more. There was less room writing, at least in our case. Um, but it was also, we had a little bit of a false schedule because TNT gave us tons of writing time because Ray was in the writer's room the whole time, you know? And, uh, and by the way, just as far as star-driven, it's a very odd, because Ray was a very singular case, it, just the way he works on Everybody Loves Raymond and then on men, men of a Certain Age as well. But on Everybody Loves Raymond, he was in the room every moment he wasn't on the stage. And usually that's a recipe for disaster or at least contentiousness. And um, he... Um, tells the story that he wrote a script at the end of the first season and uh, suddenly developed a lot more respect for <laughs> the writers, not that he didn't have it before, but he just he went through exactly what they went through. And when Ray was in the room, you know, uh, on Raymond, it was never like, oh my God, the star just walked in. It was always like just another writer came in. It's the guy saying the lines, and so especially the lines coming out of his mouth, he's able to voice better, and if he didn't like something... You, you could argue forever, and he would, if he, you, you could either win the argument or lose the argument. He was very, he had no, he just wanted the best script, you know? He, if he, he we could be in there, all of us going, you fucking asshole, this is gonna work, you know? Uh, and he would give it, he would go to the table, he would give it the best shot. Sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. It was all about, you know, uh, just making the best script 
So it, it really, it just worked, you know, in a, in a I think, a, a, I don't think that happens a lot, and it, I think, contributed a lot to the success of the show. Um, but yeah, for, for, for the hour long, I didn't, I didn't, I've never experienced the grueling 24 episode, oh my God, you know, network thing, uh, as far as that goes. So it was a little bit, it was spread farther out for men of a certain age. And then we got, we'll take some questions from the audience, but just quickly, in terms of the room, do you guys, how do you divide up? Are you both in the room? I, let's start with you guys, and then are you both in the writer's room all the time, or is one of you concentrating there while... Um, well, for better or worse, our uh, show is a bi-coastal show. It's split between the room being in L.A. and the show filming in New York. So um, I think that actually uh, it fosters a dynamic where one of us can be with the room, whether actually it's in person in L.A. or on the video conference system that we have in New York that occasionally actually works. Um, and then the other one being on set or in editing or in casting. But uh, there's nothing more important than us being room present because um, everything follows from the stories we're breaking and outlining and writing. In and the you room. both like the room equally. It's not like one of you is like, no, 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 I'll just sit back. We both, we, both, we both love the room, yes. No, we have an amazing, we hired a top-heavy room um, for, because we knew we'd, the room would be in L.A., we'd be in New York, and so we wanted to have experienced writers, and we have an amazing room, and it's been basically the exact same room through five seasons. So we all get along really well, both creatively and as people and respect each other, and it makes a big difference. And you guys are just starting your room. We're just now. starting, but I think, I mean, we're probably going to both be in the room all the time. I'm comfortable there, you're comfortable there. I think, again, it's true, that's the most important place. This is it, yeah. The flower's blooming. Um, but we, you know, we're lucky because we're going to shoot right on the Fox lot, so the stage is going to be really close. We can run by and watch rehearsals and stuff. But, um, yeah, that, that is the most important place for us to that in editing, you know, because once the actors kind of figure things out on, on set, you want to be there, obviously, to help, and, to, and especially when the show's first starting out, to kind of guide them. But everything stems from the room, and everything's finished off in editing, so those are the most important places for us to be, and we work well together so yeah. far. Yeah, it's, it's, I wanted to say just as far as when we, one thing when I read his script and knew his history, I, you know, in terms of every situation is different when you bring a showrunner and we're, you know, co-showrunner, however you want to term it. Um, I knew he knew what he was doing, so it wasn't a case of like, okay, here's a guy who's the first time he's ever done anything. Um, it, it was more attractive to be a part of. <laughs> And then on, on Hung and Web Therapy, you, you guys both have an experience where you get to spend a lot of time in the room before production starts. You're, is that, was that the case in Hung? Yeah, yeah, quite a bit, quite a bit. And, and we figured out that like, we really work best when we... It shouldn't work that way, but we, are, we do go into, in different directions and we argue for very different things. So we, we did ultimately decide to split up where like, my wife would be there for the big picture stuff and then she and she she was on the set a lot so like and then I'd sort of run the room and bring things from non being into being. <laughs> and she was uh, and she liked the way you And then she would come in and then and then we would uh, yeah and then we'd go go back and forth after that. But uh, yeah, yeah yeah. What the hell? Um, I, I guess that means <laughs> let, let's open up questions to Birthday boy, anything? <laughs> Get the first. Yes. Um, I know that uh, Kevin did a lot of uh, connecting direct to mm -hmm. the audience of Cougar Town uh, as it was trying to get the fourth season of the show done. Um, and I'm curious how all of you see the, uh, the changing nature of TV affecting how the people on the creative side of things connect with the fans that, in theory, have more and more of a role in making sure that things continue being successful. Web therapy, certainly it 
its original run was affected by people you know, registering views on it. Um, how do you guys see that changing? Do you feel any sort of a change on the, on, on the business side of things in terms of that sort of engagement? like the fourth dimension, you know, it's like, you <laughs> it scares the shit out of me. <laughs> no, it's like playing chess on several levels. Like, well, so I can only do well, it. Well, I mean, I can, like, it, it's funny, because we, it's something we discovered on the show, because the show premiered, oh my gosh, we're doing so great, hey, where are the ratings going? Oh my gosh, we're going to come back. So, like, by the, you know, midway through the third season, when the order's getting cut, we're not sure if the show's coming back. And we kind of took it upon ourselves to do as much reach out stuff with the fans as we could. So, and it was like, oh my gosh, being a showrunner has this other aspect to it that will suck up a giant chunk of my life. Well, like, yeah, if you want to keep your show on, sometimes it does. So we did viewing parties for the shows. We did, you know, tons of contests and stuff with the fans of the show. And it's weird because at the end of the day, you're maybe talking about directly talking to and with a couple thousand people, which as far as Nielsen's and ratings is nothing. But that couple thousand people who are very, very vocal and will champion your show and write about it and then comment on it and then write the studio, that's these knuckleheads at the studios, they listen to that stuff. They listen to it. That's sometimes all they listen to. And if it comes down to making a decision financially of picking up this show that has this really vocal fan base, like a community, or, or picking up a show that no one's talking about, they're sometimes going to go with a smaller show. I mean, I was looking at a thing, a thing the other day when, when the single guy got canceled. And there was like 20 million viewers of that show. They got canceled with 20 million viewers, and Parks and Rec is going to come on, which is a great show, and they've got like four. So, which, and that's not, no knock on the show. It's just like reality of TV if I'm going to be on my soapbox. So, like, part of this job now, unfortunately and fortunately, because it's kind of rewarding, is you have to kind of be an impresario, and you've got to go out and sell the show as much as you can if you want to hold on to that. You know, if you're hanging onto the cliff of staying on television, that can sometimes be that little hand that reaches over and pulls you up. To do a, another metaphor that doesn't involve boning somebody. <laughs> uh, another question? Yes, in the back. Well, I mean, there are showrunning producers, and there are non there are writing showrunners, and there are non-writing showrunning uh, showrunners. And um, I, you know, I'm not sure how the non-writing showrunners. I guess they were line producers that become showrunners. Does that sound right? Not many of them. Now, in TV, yeah, mostly your showrunner is a creator or a, yeah. or. But on Scandal, yeah. Betsy. Scandal, Betsy Beers is a um, non-writing executive producer who handles, all, and is Shonda Rhimes' partner, also on Grey's Anatomy. Um, her role is very specific. She puts out a lot of the fires that do not involve the writer's room and Shonda and all those things that have to do with the liaison with the network. And, um, you know, and Lisa and I started our company. We were both non-writing executive producers on all the pilots that we produced. And our job was to support the vision of the writing showrunner. And sometimes there's resentment towards the non-writing showrunner because, you know, we're writing it. And I've, I've played both roles, so I, but I don't know how... But, I mean, there's not that much of it in TV because TV requires so much material, you know, and a lot of the problem-solving that you're doing are problems that involve writing. So, you know, as, as the boss on a show, you're making decisions that are sort of writing-driven. Uh, you know, in the, I mean, that's, that's why television is so great for writers. It's the best, uh, because you're using the writing skill, whether you're standing, well, you're standing on the stage sort of pitching something that has to be changed in order to fix a scene, it's still writing. You know, you're saying, instead of saying that, you say this, and it'll make a little more sense later. You know, so that's always, you're always basically writing, and it's the writers in charge. And, and the way I became a, you know, a showrunner is I, I, I sat in Michael Jacobs' office 
doing the dinosaur show. Mr. Michael, Mr. Jacobs is in the back of the room. And <laughs> on my first job, which was dinosaurs in 1990, and Michael didn't have, and Michael didn't have a writing room. He had his office. And so we heard him yelling at Dean Valentine at Disney on the phone. And, and, and he would go like this, and, you know, and then he would, and he, no, no, nobody's here with me. And then he would, <laughs> and then all the most intimate details of how to run a TV show were being discussed. And he talk, we heard him talking to his agent, Lee, and uh, we heard him, and, we, and he would sit there with Variety and say, okay, this schmuck and this and blah, 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 and, and we'd go through everything. And, and, and I sat there for three years watching this guy run, uh, you know, run uh, multiple TV shows because he'd moved on and had another show on at the same time. And so I, he did that. And then I went into the Carsey Werner camp where battlefield promotions were very, uh, were, were very common. I worked on the Roseanne show, and then and then I was on, I was on briefly on a show called Grace Under Fire, and uh, and the guy who was above me in the food chain got fired, so basically in my my, my fourth year in the business I was running Grace Under Fire, you know uh, I, w I became the executive producer of that show very early on in my in my career, and then you know ever since they don't people don't rise quite that quickly anymore, but it, it happened in those days. Uh, yes. Um, I wish I'd spent, and still wish I'd spent more time on a set with actors. Like I think, I feel like totally comfortable with writers. I feel totally comfortable in editing. As awkward as I may seem now, I feel pretty comfortable up here doing this. But it, being on a set with actors is its own thing. And as much as you can learn about that world and how to talk to actors and know where they're coming from, that is incredibly valuable. I think we have time for one more question, sir. I, I, for me, I original material absolutely. I mean, I, or not even television. I, I like to read plays and screenplays or you know, original pilots. Yeah. Depends on the show, but for me, both both original first and then a spec is actually the best. Depends on the format. An original to to show a voice for a writer and then a spec to show that they can handle act structure and, and I story. Mean, ideally, yes, yes. It doesn't always get to that point, but um, and for men of a certain age, it was. easier to read a spec because uh, a spec of an existing show because you know the characters I don't have to keep referring back to the sheet at the beginning of the script saying right. that huh. Marianne is 19 and she works as a waitress okay Marianne's talking now you know I mean if I if you're writing you know so that's easier so I would recommend developing both and it doesn't have to be an original sitcom we've hired people off of comics like as long as there's like a voice there and they're not super awkward in the room and they know when to talk and when not to talk. <laughs> the writer is not super. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I think we can get one more question sneak in. And sure. No, we actually make it up as we go along. We find it easier to do that. Do you have an idea? <laughs> well, taken from anywhere. It, it, we're, we're very lucky. We have um, two medical consultants, one who works with the writer's room in L.A. and one who works on set, um, mainly, you know, 
helping Mark with rehearsals and right. ensuring that procedures are done accurately um, and authentically. Um, so with uh, the consultant in LA, it can begin with him coming in with a cool medical story, and that can lead to um, a theme that then informs the character stories, or it can happen the other way around, where we know especially towards the end of the season, what serialized um, events we owe in, in a particular episode. And as we start to think about how we're going to tell those stories, we think about, oh, you know what would be a cool type of medical emergency to have in Act 3 because of these other stories that are going on in the episode. Uh, thank you very much. Now leaving Nerdist.com.